So, Berto, I read this article online the other day talking about the most influential TV shows of the decade. Because, you know, we're reaching the end of a decade. What do you mean? Like the 90s? It's crazy to me. It's to think. Uh, I, of course, I knew it's almost 2020. I can't believe that, man. But it's like, you know, you got the 80s, the 90s, no. and you got the 2010s. Coming to an a end. A whole other decade ending. So we have to now start thinking about all the different things that involve this decade. For example, the most influential TV shows of the 2010s. It was an article, and there were 30 of them, and I thought, you know what? I agree with some. I disagree with some. I want to talk about this with Umberto because I'm sure he has opinions. So let's get into it. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. I am Umberto Castaneda, and I have a decaf oat milk farm. Like, So it's like if you want to drink decaf coffee with oat milk, uh, I pre-decaffeinate the oats. So when we get into this, I'm going to try to talk about the psychological angle. I, I don't want it to just be about TV because people come to this podcast to hear about psychology. So let's get into it. So, Berto, uh, I'll just do mine and then we'll go to yours. And All then, right. And so, so the first thing we're going to talk about is my list of the top five most influential TV shows that I think are influential. Not necessarily your favorites, just the ones you think are most influential. Exactly. Got it. Later, I'll give my top five, top five favorite. And then we'll go into the article on CNET that uh, Amanda Kuzer provided, the top, the top 30. So um, you can either tell me if any of these coincide with yours as I'm saying it, which I kind of recommend. Sure. Uh, or not. It's up to you. And then if, if, if there's some that weren't there, I can fill them in after. Well, something. you'll go after me. Oh, okay, got it. But got if it. any of these coincide, sure, feel sure. free to comment right yeah. away because yeah. I think it'll save time. So before going into this, I, I just have to say that all of these, um, you know, my top five are completely based on my own bias in terms of what I like. Because if I was more mainstream... I would identify shows like America's Got Talent or The Kardashians oh, yeah. or Duck Dynasty right. or one of the great great Bake Off shows mm -hmm. because I don't watch any of those shows. So to me – So I, it's – it's it, I see. So there's an additional bias here. It's not just things they, – they may not even be your favorites, but they're at least shows you're aware of. Yeah. And that are – And yeah, aware of and also yeah. like. Like. You know? Okay. So – it, of course, that other person would have come up with a different list. So this isn't perfectly scientific. Not perfectly. Yeah, it's near perfect. Yeah. Number five, uh, top of, you know, I'm going in order is here. five the best? Five is the, the, <laughs> the, the lowest best. of the five. <laughs> so is Trailer Park Boys. Oh, yeah. Now, I know this started in 2001, yeah. so it, it's a 20-year-old TV show almost. But it... It's like the Beatles, this TV yeah. show, because it's it was revolutionary at the time. It was inspirational to so many artists afterwards, so many other right. showrunners. And when I saw it, I didn't start watching Trailer Park Boys until maybe like five years ago. And I, I binged like, you know, all the first 10 seasons and, and then it went into Netflix and all this kind of stuff. I, I think we had this conversation or a similar one where I same thing. I never even heard of it, maybe or whatever. Yeah. And some number of years ago, uh, you, a few other people mentioned it. And when I first watched it, I thought, oh, I, it's a lot like this other thing or it's a lot like this other thing. But I didn't know how old it was at first. <laughs> right. I didn't know either. And yeah. then and then I, I think I watched like the first season and I was like, oh, I see. They're doing that thing. Yeah. That 
It's Always Sunny does, yeah. or The Office, or Parks yeah. and Rec, or Modern Family. They're, you know, that mockumentary style. Right. Now, of course, we got to go all the way back to Spinal Tap, sure. and maybe even precursors to that. Yeah, we're not saying they invent, but like for TV shows, I mean, it was a. Ahead of its time, and it kick-started a lot of stuff. It's a Canadian show, if you're not familiar, and it was basically on a, a – obscure to me America, as an American. Yeah. I don't remember ever hearing about it until it was available on Netflix, say, right. five or six years ago. And it was, I think, kind of a, a cult following in Canada, mm-hmm. from what I understand. And it's about these three guys who live in a trailer park, and they're like 30s, 40s. And they're always trying to do some kind of scam for <laughs> money or drugs or guns or crime. Or, As one does. Yeah, and it's a, it's a total comedy. And there, when I watched it, I was like, oh, my God, this came before all these other shows that are <laughs> almost I, identical ripoffs of the show. For example, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is almost exactly like this show. It's definitely uh, The Office, both British and American versions, are you know, callbacks in a sense. Right. Although, I mean, the British one was almost contemporaneous, right? I like, don't think British so. British was 2001. Oh, was it? Yeah. Huh. Well, okay. Yeah. So we have to go back to that too. Yeah. Parks and Rec, how they do those little interlude uh, interviews with the characters right. as if it's a, mo- as if it's right, a documentary. Right. A Modern Family, they do the same thing. Essentially, any show where it's a mockumentary where they do those little interlude interviews uh-huh. And they're acting like they're real people. And every episode, there's sort of like shenanigans that happen. You know what I mean? Sure. Like the, the, the worst of our characters come through. Which, uh, I, by the way, I, I would give a lot of credit to Seinfeld for starting uh, the path. Because, you know, at the time when Seinfeld came out, uh, characters in shows like that were usually re- redeemable. And Seinfeld was the first of like somewhat unredeemable characters. <laughs> okay, good. So, yeah, I could see it kind of, uh, yeah. Mark Hart. Uh, American Vandal, which was a short mockumentary on Netflix, if you're familiar. Party Down, which I really liked. What We Do in the Shadows, oh, yeah. uh, the movie and the TV show. Reno 911. Oh, totally. Right. Very much. And to a lesser extent, these non-mockumentary shows like Workaholics. Right. Workaholics is like a direct ripoff of Trailer Park Boys, even though I like uh, tra- both Workaholics and Trailer Park Boys. By the way, I, gu- I guess it's worth mentioning that uh, this wouldn't have really come about maybe if there hadn't been so much quote-unquote reality TV in the 90s, right? Because it's almost like a few creative people looked at that and rebelled against it. Like, oh, that's BS, and we can do a send-up of that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I'd also say that Arrested Development, Eastbound and Down, and Broad City are all kind of uh, influenced by Trailer Park Boys. So uh, I, Trailer Park Boys definitely took place in this decade, and its main influence was in the last decade, but I just really wanted to right. highlight how important the show was. Fair my, enough. my number four is Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, Stranger Things had a huge impact on the culture. It was a it was a great uh, series, especially the first season. I, I've got Stranger Things in number four. Okay, interesting. But not only in the list, but also number four. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, to me, not only was it an amazing show that, uh, like, Ready Player One was kind of, yeah. uh, you know, generated from that, and I'm guessing we're going to see a lot of other things like that, but. The main influence that it has was, and it's hard to even imagine this this previous history that wasn't that long ago, just three years ago, four years ago, when 
Netflix and other types of mm-hmm. streaming services that didn't even really exist back then did not produce TV shows that were any good. Right. Uh, I remember when I first started watching Stranger Things, I was like, wait, so Netflix made this show? <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. You know, it, it, it wasn't a thing. Now, of course, all the best TV shows right. are on Netflix, Amazon, HBO. They and needed it, a strong hit to start with, right? <laughs> right. And, and so it, it really p- made it so that the consumers could accept the idea that streaming services weren't, you know, because bef- it's, again, hard to remember, but it wasn't that long ago when you just thought of Netflix as, well, they just repurpose. The, you know, they're, they're like that movie theater, that crappy old movie theater on the corner <laughs> that shows movies that came out a year ago. Yeah. It's like they don't really, you know, they're not. Uh, cutting edge. They're they're not the, the especially how- the the digital subscription. Yeah, you because know, there was still a time where you know you you could you knew you could order the physical DVDs yeah. of the movies you did want to watch, but if you were feeling lazy, I'm like, I just want to watch whatever's there. It was absolutely the C and D rack. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was like movies you never wanted to watch <laughs> right. back in the day, uh, and so now most people consider Netflix, Amazon these other services to be like the primary venue for yeah. good. I mean, no one who goes to like ABC and NBC for like the best TV shows. Right. Uh, I don't, I not, not many people. I was sorry. I will say that there was a little period of time in like 2008, 2009 where Netflix had um, on their digital stuff, had a lot of eighties movies that maybe at the time people weren't watching. So that's why they had them. But I loved it. Cause then I would go and rewatch the karate kid, like all the karate kids and stuff like that. Back to the futures. I don't know. Maybe back to the future. Not so much, but movies like that, you know? Right. My number three is black mirror. Of course. Uh, again, huge impact on the culture uh, in terms of what we talk about. Totally new show that you, you could say that it, it's, it's has you know it's a callback to uh, Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone or something. But man, did they take TV to a whole other level? Each episode is its own little movie, especially some yeah. episodes like White Christmas and and you know very influential. I think um, great TV and it's a total trip to think about. It's been out uh, since 2011. Yeah, so it's been almost it's, it's been almost nine years. And there's only been 22 episodes. Oh, wow. Just think about that. <laughs> well, they're long episodes, but yeah. <laughs> but in 10 years. Yeah, totally. 22 episodes. It's funny. I, so I didn't put Black Mirror on this list. Not because, of course, I love it. But I was being sort of along the lines of what you were saying earlier, where I was thinking, well, I like it. And I know Kirk loves it. But I've talked to a lot of people who have never seen it. Totally, and I, I would say that of the of my list here, uh, Black Mirror is probably not as as in you know globally impactful on the culture just because of yeah. that reason. But I think that of the things that, at least in my circle, gets people talking. Totally, it's it's a show. You like could hardly find a, a one that we've had more discussion about, right? <laughs> Uh, my number two is Game of Thrones. You got oh, you got to go. I with... definitely have Game of Thrones. I put it number one. Oh, okay. But I could see you know it's the top top list anyways. Yeah. So again, huge impact on the culture. Everyone was talking about it during the last two or two and a half seasons ish. 
for better or for worse, that's, really. That's why I put it number one, by the way, because even when I was in Colombia, uh, what is it, two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, and I'm sitting there talking to a Colombian person that I just met, and what did we have in common to talk about? Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the pinnacle of the cultural buzz during the season eight was it was everywhere i mean yeah. it, there wasn't a talk show or a person yeah. everyone of every age <laughs> uh and my number one is orange is the new black what yeah really okay i want to hear this well do you watch that show i've watched a part of the first season and and uh so this is my reaction is not a comment on quality i just i don't i didn't know it was so influential in your mind yeah okay it, I'm, it's not so this one i think is a good thing for me to highlight because a good show for me to highlight because it's this is actually a show that is not in my top 20 tv shows okay uh but i have to recognize the importance of this show i want to hear this i I, I'm, Um, i'm probably not aware it broke ground obviously for women okay which you know is something because it's like all female cat or a lot of female right and very different kinds of characters right it completely broke ground for women without makeup who don't look so great. You know, like True. you got older women, no makeup, yeah. you know, like uh, real women, yeah. <laughs> real looks. You know what I mean? Uh, people of color. Right. Lots, lots of people of, of color. Queer people. Oh, yeah. Trans people, gay people, former convicts. I mean, if you said that one of the most popular TV shows in America you know, say you asked me 2009, one of the most popular TV shows in America in, in of the next, you know, decade is is going to highlight women, queer women of color who are coming out of prison. Yeah. And, and you know, half of Americans are going to be watching that show and talking about it. I'd be like, that's insane. That's stupid. That's a good argument. I mean, I guess Oz was really interesting when it came out and it was... uh it was a show about prisons. It was all men, of course, but it was um, it was very uh, it tackled a lot of similar issues on the male side, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think Orange Is the New Black is a lot more popular than Oz. Oh, definitely. Oz was only on HBO. And yeah, it, the people that liked it, that watched it, loved it, but not a lot of people watched it. Yeah, I think that history books will talk about this show when they when they when they refer back to to this time oh that was a curveball i was not expecting all right Berto. so that's my top five what are your top five i like it well so similar to you i certainly have some blind spots when it comes to my understanding of pop culture but i did put in number five uh, i didn't pick a specific one but i said Chef or cooking shows? <laughs> oh, I think, that's a cop out. Well, okay, I could I could pick a, a specific one, I suppose. But yeah, fine. I uh, I mean, I could say like space shows or something. All right, all right. Uh, or I guess I'll Mod- go with Mod- the um, the. See, I don't even know the name of it. Well, but Top Chef is really popular. That's is that the one where they? I don't know. Yes, Top Chef. Iron Top chef. Iron. No, chef. no, no, not the Iron Chef was earlier. Okay, Top Chef. Okay. But the reason I put this one there is because, man, like, first of all, there's so many of them. There's the British Baking Show. There's there's ton of dessert shows. There's all the Top Chef. There's Top Chef Junior. There's all these things, right? There's the Hell's Kitchen, all that stuff. And other than these geeky things that we like, 
I hear people talking about these things all the time. Hmm. Random. I, I'll be like at parties with uh, different generations. Well, so is your uh, thesis here that Top Chef really got it going? And because th- we're talking about the most influential TV show of 2010. Okay. I, I didn't think it through in a, well enough. I'm going to go with Top Chef got it going. Yeah, I'm, re- <laughs> I'm reminded that I was going to talk about the psychology of things. And so let me riff on why we like these kinds of shows. Obviously, we all love food. It's sort of a weird thing, though, to think about. Like, why would you like a TV show <laughs> right. that talks about food, and then there, there's a taster, there's a judge, right. and you can't taste it. <laughs> you can't even taste it. Yeah. You see the visuals. <laughs> yeah. Actually, just along these lines, there's a YouTube channel that I've been watching for a while that has been totally taking off. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a, I think it's a Mexican woman who lives in, like, rural Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, speaks Spanish, Latin American. I'm I'm 90% sure she's Mexican, and she's on a ranch. and And the whole sh- the whole YouTube channel is just her making food. Oh, and it's not she's she's not in a kitchen. She's in her outdoor kind of like a barbecue. You know, mm. her her stove is fueled by actual wood, like okay. like branches. Sure, sure. Not 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 chopped wood, but. Stuff gathered from around, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And she makes like, you know, uh, mole and all yeah. those kinds of things. And you have to turn on, well, I do, I have to turn on the translations. To, sure. But it's just, it's just so great to see her and all the ingredients that she uses, you can tell are very cheaply ga- right. gathered. And anyway. Uh, by the way, I got into a similar uh, channel that was actually an Asian grandma or something okay and her daughter her probably her great or her granddaughter or something was the one doing all the filming and yeah. stuff like that same with this yeah. mexican woman it's okay <laughs> and i can't even i don't even know the name of this channel because it's in spanish and i but i think it translates to like uh traditional mexican cooking on a ranch oh, or something wow. i don't know but and it's her granddaughter okay. and, and they just got a million subscribers oh my god so they had a they had an episode <laughs> of them holding. Yeah, so now she's probably yeah. like the richest person in her town. That's crazy. But anyway, um, it is sort of an interesting phenomenon about our psychology as to why we would like these cooking shows. And I think that uh, there's a number of factors. One, it ties in the typical reality TV show uh, shtick and appeal of you don't, you know, you don't know what's going to happen be- because it's happening in the moment, right? Yeah. Like it's not a script, right? There's usually some sort of challenge, right? Right. You have to make this thing in under this amount of time. And I think we get some sort of sick pleasure from watching people struggle. Sure. And we also get kind of a sick pleasure from watching people fail, especially when we think they deserve to fail. Yeah, sure. And and watch someone succeed, right? And I think we also (laughs) get a vicarious pleasure from watching people succeed. We identify with the six with the person who wins and we, you know, uh, don't necessarily identify with the people who lose, although that can change. Well, and and sorry, and there's there's something because, you know, when we watch a fictional movie, it is that but like very like crafted, right? Right. Here I wonder if there's a little bit of like oh but this is real. Right. It's like one of those hero movies but for real. Right. <laughs> and I think that food cuz you know there's a lot of different types of these shows right. that don't involve food, right? But I think there's something about food because all of us no, even me who is like the furthest from a cook you could possibly get. <laughs> I I've I cook things or I prepare things. And so I think it has a, a down-to-earth uh, uh, 
element that we can all identify with. Totally. We, we've all chopped things. We've all boiled things. We've all tried to cook something. Well, and you're a foodie. Like, you like good right. restaurants. Right. So part of it is also like, oh, that looks like a good meal. And that looks... <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, it it must... Again, because there's so many different reality shows, and all of them are generally doing well, but there's something about the the yeah. cooking shows. Maybe also knives have some sort of appeal, Ooh. like violent, you know, like like because there's and, sure. and and fire, and yeah. And sizz- there's something visceral yeah. about that that other reality shows wouldn't have. Anyway, what's your number four? Okay, Stranger Things. That was oh, okay. Stranger Things. Yeah. My number three is Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? And, you know, so Walking Dead is something where I I have been following the graphic novel for years now, and I really like it. Um, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm less interested, but for many, many years, I really liked it, enjoyed it. And when the first um, season came out of Walking Dead, I was kind of skeptical, and I watched it, and I really liked it. I was like, wow, they're doing a pretty good job bringing the the essence of of the comic to the... And then after that, I think season two started getting a little silly. Season three was really silly. And then I lost interest. I've heard that then eventually it got better or whatever, but I never really went back to it. But for forever, I would hear people talking about it, like yeah. Walking Dead, Walking Dead, Walking Dead, Walking Dead. Yeah. And it was like all over mainstream stuff, costumes, of course, and references and things. And then there were a lot of offshoots, like the Talking Dead, yeah. right? That was the show after the show. That I think they started that. Yeah. And then that became a oh. thing with other shows. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So that that was a big deal. And it was also sort of like the first time where, um, obviously, there's been cycles of zombie movies, right? But this is like a long-running zombie thing. You know? yeah. Normally, it's like, okay, a movie comes out, and 28 Days Later is fun for a while, and then we go away for a while. This is like years of zombies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, it was a mammoth show and influential on our culture, I I, know, I was I gave up on that show way before you did. I gave up almost like before the end of the first season. I loved the first episode mm. and was, you know, interested enough in the characters from the first couple episodes and then by by about midway through the cuz the thing that kind of bo- bothered me about it was that to me, there were so many squandered opportunities for like some really cool, I don't know what the graphic novel was like, but there were some opportunities, I thought, for some really interesting questions mm. about, you know, what would we really do in a situation like that? Yeah. And I feel like they just reduced it down to this, like, soap opera-y <laughs> storyline that could have been uh, transposed onto any setting. Like, you, sure. you could transpose it into an, to a hospital setting uh-huh. or, or a law firm or something. You know, it was these similar tropes that they always do in these shows. And it... Also, I just felt like I just wasn't that interested in the characters, which, mm. of course, is the main thing. And people would yell at me back when it, it was, you know, <laughs> first two or three seasons. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I remember this one student of mine was just like, I, I somehow admitted I wasn't watching the show anymore. And then, <gasps> I thought, you know, as a psychologist, I thought you would like oh. that show. Because, <laughs> because, the you know, it, it involves personality so much. And I was yeah. like, uh, I don't know what to say to that. Other than, <laughs> I want to say, well. I'm just a bad psychologist. <laughs> or how about the show just kind of sucks? I don't know. Um, so anyway. Uh, All right. But I agree. Oh, what's your number one? No, no, no. Number uh, two. Oh, number two. Number two is Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, not only is it a show that I really loved, uh, I think tons of people really loved it, 
But again, it, another breaking ground kind of situation where, uh, first of all, what what was Breaking Bad on? Uh, Is that good, I don't know. Well, like was that also AMC or was that probably okay? Um, because I feel like. Oh, no, I don't know if... Well, anyways, the, the point is, um, they took a lot of risks with that show. Yeah. It was very non-conventional. And unlike a lot of other shows, where you get this feeling where, oh, they had a good idea for a, for a first season, but then they really, like... They really had it nailed from beginning to end. You know, that's one yeah. of the few series that you can feel satisfied. Like, of course, there were a few episodes that weren't quite there, but mostly from beginning to end, I was like, yeah, that, that's good. That's cohesive. Um, also the fact that they cast, uh, the dad from Malcolm in the middle was so awesome. It was so great. Lots of catchphrases, things like that. And everyone, everyone was, was saying the catchphrases, right? And then the, the, the costumes with the yellow suits became very popular at Halloween and it set a new bar. Sort of like when the Sopranos came out, set a new bar. Breaking Bad set a new bar. It's like, look, you can't just have, uh, you know, you can't just have like an interesting premise. Every episode has to feel like a little mini movie, and like the, the shows have really had to uh, keep up with that. So I think that was a very influential. Show. Yeah, the psychology in that show. There's a lot that can be said. the The arc, and I only watched the first season and a half or so. But, <gasps> but what? I, but I understand oh. ba- the basic story. I. It was a you know a, I get why people like it. I think one of the reasons why I didn't like it was because. I actually treat people with chemical addiction problems mm-hmm. and any any movie or TV show that's about drugs I find to be like watching a 13-year-old's version mm. of drugs you know like um you know about oats right. right well you know imagine all you know all the movies that you've seen that are oh. about about yeah. oats, and they're depicting you know oats. You're just kind of like, oh god. Uh, in fact, I feel that way all the time because a lot of times in a scene they'll be eating like like for breakfast like oats. And I'm like, oh my god, they have so many things wrong. Right. So I can relate. Right. But if you don't know anything about oats and you write a script from the perspective you don't any, right. know anything about oats, oats for people who don't know anything about oats, right? Then it's fine. But as a expert on drugs yeah when i'm watching these shows about drugs i'm just like and i and i'm also kind of an expert on drug uh dealers because i've had many clients who were ah, i see who were drug dealers and i i knew the reality of their life which sure. which is not romantic right. i mean and i know breaking bad's supposed to be like not very romantic but it's it sure. romanticizes sure. it quite a bit and it it makes some of the drug dealers out to be these like complete psychopaths it's a business like any other, right. and there are occasional violent acts and these kinds of things. But generally speaking, you're just a business person, and you're. It's like having a dry cleaning business or something. It's boring. It's taking calls, and you know the closest show that ever uh, that I've ever seen that really um, depicted the drug illicit industry was um, high maintenance. High maintenance. It, it's the TV show mm. that was on the web, and then I, I think HBO or Netflix or someone okay. picked it up, and maybe YouTube. Oh, I remember about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's this. It's this guy who drives around New York on his bike and sell. Yeah. And you know, he gets a call and he goes to be. And he he like. And it's he, annoying. It's an annoying job. <laughs> yeah, you just get the sense like, oh, like the the people that he has to deal with, and 
and the, the situations that he has to deal with. Now that show glorifies it because each each sort of customer has an interesting story about them, sure. which isn't necessarily true. But anyway, so when I watch Breaking Bad, I'm just like, uh, okay, uh, crank and crack and meth. These are these are really not very sexy drugs. That the situations that people get into with those drugs are are not very interesting when you really you know learn. Mm-hmm. The psychosis that often kicks in with these people, that's not very appealing to see. Right, right. The physical problems, the way your your life falls apart. Um, and, and and again, just how mundane drug dealing and, and drug making actually is. So you probably felt similarly when you were watching Game of Thrones because having read so much Lord of the Rings, you're like, dragons don't work this way. Well, and like ogres really aren't that tall. And- so if I lived... <laughs> In the Dark Ages, <laughs> then I might look at these kinds of shows and be like, uh, "The being a king is actually really boring." You know what I mean? There's, and it's 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 not so be, sure. because like Wolf of Wall Street, it's a classic right. example where I'm sitting in the audience at a packed theater and uh, this Scorsese movie, and everyone's loving you know stellar ratings rotten yeah. tomatoes. Everyone's laughing their ass I off. I laugh my ass off when when uh, Leo is so you know incapacitated on barbiturates that he can't even drive his car or walk and i'm just sitting there going this is a sad uh depiction of what drug i know what drugs actually do to people i this is not funny this is not a funny situation this is a tragic horrible situation that this person is going to regret the rest of their life. Right. And it, it, and these drugs don't even necessarily make you feel that good. You know, right. like after a while you take drugs over and over. And eventually it's just sort of like trying to maintain your life. It's not, it's not sexy. And so it's like not you, interesting. When you watched American pie, you were probably like, I've treated people that have these like sexual at- misattachments to fruit and fruit pies. <laughs> this is not funny. Like this is serious. <laughs> Actually, we're going to do an episode later about how some people fall in love with objects oh, okay. sexually and romantically. Good, good, good. Uh, and we'll bring you up America. So, By the way, uh, so my number one is Game of Thrones, okay. which was on your list too. I, I put it as number one because, like we said, it was just like. Non-stop Game of Thrones all over the place. Okay. But um, side note, uh, recently my business actually split up. And it got the, the government split it into two. And now we're just called Hall. Okay. Interesting. So when uh, – getting back to uh, Breaking Bad, I think another psychological aspect to this show that is appealing to people – this is the original thing I want to talk about before I went on a long rant – to try to justify the fact that I haven't watched it. I mean, maybe if I watched it, I'd find the appeal season two or three. My brother says, like, you, you got to watch it. You I know? think you would. Okay. Oh, fine. Yeah. But part of me just wants to die with people. Oh, like, yeah. the last thing that someone <laughs> says to me is, like, you haven't seen Breaking Bad? Uh, and, I, again, I hear Better Call Saul is awesome. Have I never seen did that? finish that. I started, but I didn't finish. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, the psychological as- aspects of this show, obviously there's many. Uh, grief. Um, what happens to someone when they're diagnosed with a terminal illness, the way this family system operates where the wife is sort of the alpha and the husband is sort of the beta and how the progression of his, um, I don't know, because he he begins the story with him just kind of trudging through life, 
letting he, life lead him by the pinky. Yeah. And then he, in, in an act of desperation, because, and I think most people understand the premise of the show, he's diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he's like, well, with my last, I might as well be useful and actually get like a good amount of, or he, he needs money to pay his medical he bills. He needs money to pay his medical bills. Right. And he's going to leave his family with nothing. Right. So he wants to both help his family out, you know, because as he's dying with some money and, and then he actually discovers himself and like, wait, I, I can take the life by the horns and actually like right. – and then it gets worse and he starts to justify his action as a slippery slope into right. immorality and amorality and violence and psychopathy. And, and it raises the question of like, well, was he always a psychopath and he just never really had the venue to enact that? Right. Um, or did the the lifestyle beat out the morality in in that human being? There's a lot of questions in there, um, and, and and questions like the complicity complicity of those around him, you know, because the the without spoiling anything, like the the wife starts in one place, and but because you know we all have to make little little choices along the way, you know, right. and those little choices might end up putting us in a very different moral place down the line that we would have never even considered to begin with. Right. And another thing that maybe I hope it helps people to understand, I doubt it really put this point strongly, which is that the vast majority of crimes are committed by desperate people, mm-hmm. not by people who are trying to fuck people over. Yeah, look at Aladdin. You know, he was just like, one move ahead of the something, da-da, ahead of the pack. On that note, let's take a break, and when we get back, let's talk about our top five favorite TV shows of the last decade. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. Okay, Berto, so if what's-his-face, the lead character of Breaking Bad, what's his name? Oh, uh, Heisenberg. Heisenberg. If Heisenberg were to... Uh, convince the listeners right now who aren't patrons to become patrons, what might he say? Man, and you can either do it in Heisenberg or... Uh, his, no, 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 I'll do Je- it. Is it Jesse? Is that his name? No, no, no. I'm definitely going to go Heisenberg. Um, it's challenging because it's been a while. But anyways, here we go. Listen. I have been stepped on. My van blew up. I'm sitting here. I don't know any of you people, but I got to tell you. You need to go on that website and you need to sign up. It's very urgent that you do so to be a patron. And you have to be able to say at the end of the day, I am the one who patrons psychology in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So top five, Berto, give me your top five. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, number five, Rachel Maddow. Oh, I I know a lot of uh, more extreme lefties are like, oh, she was just obsessed with Russia the whole time. She's been right from the start. I'm not going to go into it because I know people don't like politics. But all I'm going to say is she does amazing investigative work. Every show I learn so much about so many things. I really, really like her show. All right. Number four. Number four. Rick and Morty. Ah. Rick and Morty is um, like a discovery that, that – it felt like discovering 
uh, a little hidden gem in the world, you know? So wait, getting back to Rachel Maddow, have you seen every episode? Well, no, no, but I, I watch as much as I can. Like you record it or something? No, they have uh, MSNBC posts on YouTube. Oh. Yeah. So you watch a lot of, a lot of Rachel a Maddow? A lot of Rachel Maddow, yeah. Like still? Yeah, definitely still. More, more so now, this year more than ever. Have you listened to her podcast, Bagman? Uh, I have not yet, but I, yeah, but that's not surprising because I don't listen to that many podcasts. But yeah. yeah, I know what it's about. Okay, number three. And I want to buy her book. I hear her book's really good. All right. Uh, so sorry, uh, Rick and Morty. Uh, Rick and Morty for me is like this amazing, perfect little combination of humor. Uh, having been a huge fan of Back to the Future, I was very intrigued when I first saw the drawings and I had heard about it, but I hadn't re- really watched it. And it's really not anything like Back to the Future. Though. No, but it's influenced by Back to the Future. Yeah, but I, when people say that, I'm like, uh, I, I, you know. Meaning the characters were literally I know. A, a spoof but, of, of uh, Doc and Marty. But the, I saw 10 episodes of Rick and Morty before someone mentioned that to me. And I was like, oh, I could kind of see it. But it's a, it's its own creation. Oh, of course. No, 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 no. Uh, of course. But time travel slash dimensional yeah, travel. Yeah. A crazy white-haired scientist whose yeah. name is, you know, Rick versus Doc. And then the, the spazzy uh, younger uh, apprentice who's either Marty or Morty. Of course. But anyways. Uh, but the thing is, I had seen the designs. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of funny. And one day Mitch came over and he's like, dude, we got to sit there and watch this. Like, this is amazing. And so we pa- marathoned the first season and I was like smitten. I was so into this show that I even bought the little Pocket Mortys uh, game for my phone and I maxed it out collecting all the Mortys that I could. Just obsessed. I have t-shirts of the show. I have a huge poster. That's one of those things that when you move one way, it changes. You know, And it's a Pickle Rick one. Oh, just love it, love it, love it. Um, Gravity Falls is my number three. What's that? Gravity Falls is a Disney uh, TV show that had four seasons. And it was made for kids, but very appealing for adults as well. What's it about? It's about this uh, brother and sister who go to spend a summer with their great uncle Stan in Gravity Falls. But Gravity Falls is this mysterious town oh, it's in Oregon. It's a cartoon. Oregon. It's a cartoon, yeah. Mysterious Town in Oregon where all sorts of weird stuff happens. Is it like Adventure Time? Uh, yeah, actually, definitely along those lines. Because it yeah. looks like Adventure Time. Yeah. And and it's just like super layered. E- each episode builds on this greater arc, a mystery arc. And, um, well, that's a surprising pick. Yeah, you, dude, you got some surprising picks. I loved every episode. I've watched it through probably five times. Love it, love it, love it. All right. Um, I even... I even have uh, the book I'm writing has some references to it. Uh, Number two. This is probably a little off the beaten path, but Nathan For You. Are you familiar with Nathan For You? No. Okay. So Nathan For You is Comedy Central. uh, This guy, Nathan Fielder, it's supposed to be a reality show where he's a business uh, consultant and he comes and helps businesses do better. But in reality, he's like, you know... The show is the meta joke of him not really being a competent business advisor at all. It's crazy. This 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 show has been on Comedy Central for the past like seven years. Yes, yeah, and I've never even heard of it before. Oh, you should you should watch, especially the early seasons. Really entertaining. Uh, he he basically it's kind of like a Borat sort of situation where he comes and tries to help these companies with outlandish ideas. For example. Uh, there's this ice cream shop and it's kind of struggling. And he's like, well, maybe you need to try, you know, new flavors. 
And then he's like, what about if you did poop flavor? And the, the guy's like, uh, uh, no, is that would be terrible. Is it like a real ice cream shop? It's a real ice cream shop. So it's like Borat. It's like Borat. Now, the people know they're being filmed. And so they know they're on a business reality show. But in the same way that Borat, right. his people knew they were being filmed, but right. they thought they were on a they show. They were on a more legit sort of show. A, mo- yeah. a legit Kazakhstan yeah. travel <laughs> show. Right, right. And the this, I think maybe I have seen an episode now, or two. I, I, I can't claim much about the latter seasons because who knows how hard it gets for him to not be known, you know? Yeah. But certainly in the first well, couple I, seasons. He could he could have pranked me. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have done. Fair enough. And he's just hilarious. His brand of humor is like super straight. He's like... There's there's this ongoing theme too where he's super self conscious and and um, uh, like he doesn't think highly of himself but he tries to portray like he does but that's like the character yeah so the psychology of shows like this obviously Borat I I, I watched I was watching Borat the British show yeah on DVD I oh, think oh right, right like what the Ali G show Ali G yeah. show from what is it like early 2000, early two right? thousands yeah. or something yeah maybe like two thousand two on and i just thought it was the F- ali g borat <laughs> yeah. uh bruno right all of his characters i just thought were hilarious and it was totally groundbreaking at the time and to some extent still kind of is uh there's some very questionable humor involved mm-hmm. obviously and, and uh, probably some stuff that wouldn't fly as much now in terms of cultural sensitivity yeah, yeah. but at the same time i the vast majority of it is making fun of people like him. Uh, now, the worst of it is the Borat because you're basically making fun of foreigners. Oh, uh, oh, but what he's trying to yeah. do is he's trying to make fun of a bigoted, a particular sort of bigoted foreigner, you know. But he's also making fun of I, of rural people. Yeah, in general. I mean, I mean, I, if I will, if I were to defend it, I would say he, what he's actually doing a send up of is the Western, specifically the U.S. And maybe Britain impression of what that bigoted foreigner would be, and their right. acceptance of it. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> like like when he goes to some rural American bar and he sings a song about a horrible thro- thing about the Jewish people thro- throwing Jews in the <laughs> right. well, and all of the the patrons, bar singing along and clapping. Yeah, or that's the way they make it yeah, seem, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, the psychology involved in that, I think, is. One, we love to laugh at certain kinds of people. Right. Two, he often is making fun of people in real time. Right. Which is both hilarious because we get to see someone make a fool out of themselves. Right. But also, it it's sort of like horror horror movies because we were cringing the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like you're, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch what he's, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're about, they're going to figure it out, yeah. you know? <laughs> and like, he'll walk up to some, you know, he'll be doing a show with some regular mainstream American white guy yeah. and he kisses him on the lips right? <laughs> or a police officer yeah, and yeah. he just kisses him on the lips and you're like, oh God, what's the cop going to do? Yeah. So I, there's some kind of tension and release that we get from that. It's like, oh my god, tension, and then <sighs> they he survives, yeah. and we we get that. And, right, right. And 
it, it's this it's a similar thing with a lot of um the horror movies like spa treatments actually ah, or other kinds of somatic treatments where you've actually done some oh, of these yeah, treatments definitely. where people will you know shove their thumbs into your eyeballs and you feel vulnerable as hell yeah and yeah. and you're in a lot of pain you're in a yeah. lot of discomfort and when you are released from that discomfort one your life is much better than it was three <laughs> seconds ago right two our body releases a bunch of uh, endorphins to counteract that kind of thing. And it even it releases that through cringe and horror films right. too. When we're cringing, our body and our nervous system notices that we're suffering and it says we need to sort of counteract that a little right. bit because it can be overwhelming. And then when we have the release, it's almost like a high. Yeah, totally. And I think that shows like this Nathan for, for you yeah. might oh. provide that. And one thing I'll say about Nathan for you it's a lot less about making fun of his mark and it's more about making like making this meta point about how far could the ridiculousness of our human interactions be to be taken because you know when we're interacting with a business or with someone in a professional setting we tend to be artificial, right? And so it's like pushing the boundaries. Like, well, what if this professional is telling you this crazy advice? How far would you go? What did they say with the poop ice cream? Oh, uh, well, you know, the guy's like, well, I think it's going to be terrible, terrible idea. But, you know, wh whatever. We'll try. I mean, it's not real poop. It's like, no, no, it's not real. It's just taste. It's, okay. So he goes and works with a chemist to come up with this company that actually comes up with flavors. God. And then they, they actually put a promotion and people come and taste it. And they're like... Most of them, they're like, that tastes odd. I, and some of them are like, I sort of like it, but not sure. And then some people actually, like one or two, they're like, this kind of tastes like what I would imagine poop tastes like. <laughs> and then you're like, well, how do they know? <laughs> um, the thing I was going to say about him, though, these little subtleties that I love, there's episodes where he's trying to do something where he's, uh, let's say his, uh, his mark or whoever is the female. And he's saying... Uh, okay, now we're going to do a little role playing. So pretend I'm maybe a date that you're going out on, uh, with or whatever. And so they're, they're role playing. And then he goes like, oh, well, do you like me? And then uh, she'll go role playing. Oh, yes, of course I do. But then he'll be like, kind of break the fourth wall of their engagement and go like, uh, uh, are you saying that in character or do you, do you mean that? And then the, the girl's like, well, no, no, I mean, we're, we're role playing, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like these like self conscious, self aware things that he injects into it, and it, it's great. It's like very subtle, and it makes you feel bad for this fictitious character that he's representing. I love it. Um, all right, and then my number one, Black Mirror. Mm. So I did put Black Mirror, but in this list because I felt, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that show has given me the most to think about and talk about, and yeah just geek out on and yeah and just think about like when the next season comes out how yeah. how happy you're gonna feel totally yeah my number five is black mirror uh so my 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 top five is pretty predictable uh yours was not uh number five black mirror number four stranger things yeah uh i i just there's so many things about stranger things that i enjoy i understand if people don't like that show honestly because it's very much geared towards the '80s. It's a childish show. It's a. It's a. Sure. It's a. Yeah. In it's the a same, Goonies kind of <laughs> right. A Goonies yeah. ET uh, sort of show that it's it's not really geared towards adult sort of sensibilities. I would say in the way that Black Mirror is, for example. Yeah. But 
there's so many things about Stranger Things. I love the characters. Ooh, I love... and this this last season, I enjoyed so much. Yeah, I I was gonna put. I would have been my number six, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Stacy and I went as Steve and Robin. <laughs> you guys uh, look great. Yeah, uh, number three is Parks and Rec. Parks and Recreation. You know, I've never I've never seen it. I've it, only heard the best things. It so. Did you like The Office? The of Ameri- course, yeah. The American. So The American Office is one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. I, I remember liking it at. I remember loving the Brit the British version too, but it's so short, you know. Yeah. The American Office is also funny, but it it the characters it makes it so you know the yeah. inside jokes that sort of develop over right, time, right. and uh, but if so, but I think Parks and Rec is even better of that genre. Um, and the characters, the things that they got into, Amy Poehler, uh, you know, Chris Pratt, um, all the, all those Hashida, people. Uh, Rashida. Rashida yeah. Jones. Uh, uh, what's his face? Who, anyway, it, it's, I just thought it was a great show. Number two is Game of Thrones. Yeah. When each season came out from the beginning, because I read the books, Prior to the show ever coming out, I just loved it. Yeah. I sort of wish that no one else or it. I, <laughs> I, I, I sort of wish that the amount of people who watched the first season yeah. were the only people who watched the show throughout because I feel like all, you know, since everyone was watching this show, I feel like a lot of people who probably wouldn't like the show to begin with watched it anyway. Ooh, I wonder if the ending seasons would have been better as a result. Because they didn't have to like deliver to the biggest audience, and, right? You know. I mean, I hadn't thought about that, but that's that's quite possible. Mm. And or the budget would have been limited, so they yeah. couldn't do big set pieces, right. and they'd have to do more story. Um, it it the amount of sort of what I would consider to be just like opinions about Game of Thrones that I just did not resonate with me uh, from like halfway through season six on really just kind of degraded. I, the experience for me kind of, cause I, I just, I was watching it thinking like, Oh God, I'm going to hear about that tomorrow on the internet. And you know, it's not a perfect show. No show is no show. But can, be. can you think of a better fantasy show? Nope. <laughs> Fan- can you think of a better fantasy creation? I think game of Thrones is, is better than Lord of the Rings in a lot of ways. When I rewatch Lord of the Rings now, it's sort of like, uh, ah. I don't know. That's a tall word. I mean, I got to say, I haven't seen it in a long, long time. I would rewatch it. But dude, man, my experience, at least, at least that first movie. Yeah. It was so good. Are you kidding me? Like, I grew up with these I books know. and to have yeah. them never yeah. uh, put on the silver screen in a good way. Right. right. Was to, and to have that. Ex- I mean, yeah, yeah I, I was, I binged, I watched, I've told you, I watched <sighs> for Christmas. I would ask for the extended four DVD version, and I would watch the featurettes. I listened to all four of the of the commentaries. Yeah, they were different groups of people, and I loved it. But uh, anyway, my point is, is Game of Thrones is number two, uh, especially when I think about the 2010s yeah. uh, as a TV show that sort of in- summarizes my TV watching in 2010s. Uh, game of Thrones is a big part of that, and number one, The Americans. Oh wait, I haven't seen the Americans. Is this the um, spies? The spies in the eighties. So, what, what channel is it? Or like what uh, is this? Uh, uh, Amazon, FX, I believe uh, FX. FX. So um, I'm not quite sure about that, but it's on Amazon now. Uh, the Americans. It's like Stranger Things because it totally involves the eighties. Okay. 
but so I would love it. And it's and it's like ten or eleven episodes per season, and I think uh-huh. it's seven seasons. Seven seasons, something like that. Yeah, holy crap! And the acting is awesome. The it's hardly ever cheesy. Oh wow! Uh, the missions that the spies go on are interesting. The tension, the the characters, the writing. Wow. The involvement of history, where they actually incorporate uh-huh. things that likely happened. Oh man, um, it, it's it's just an that it's just an amazing show. So There's some it. questionable things about the final episode. I liked it, especially the arc between, and this isn't a spoiler. Is the the you know it's a husband wife team, mm-hmm. and the hus the husband wife they live next to an FBI agent. Mm. who is in charge of investigating them, okay. you know, investigating <laughs> Russian spies. Right, right, right. And they are friends uh, throughout the entire, uh, the, 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 especially the husband and him, uh-huh. are really good friends throughout all the seasons. And the story arc involved, Stan is the FBI okay. agency. The story arc involving... Sounds like uh, Breaking Bad-ish. It, it's so good, right. Okay. Um, honorable mentions past uh, past decade. Fleabag it, it almost made it into my top five. I thought Fleabag was super good. Was really good, especially the first time watching. When I rewatched it, I was I kind of saw things coming, and it, mm-hmm. but the first time watching Fleabag, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I can watch any you know I can pop in one of those episodes and yeah. watch them and enjoy it. I'm surprised I, I didn't put that one on my list, I, actually. I, I, I'm guessing, it's similar with Parks and Rec, actually. I'm guessing when I'm, you know, 85 years old, uh, I'm still going to watch episodes of It's Always Sunny and Parks and Rec. I, I got to be honest, like, I'm kind of regretting not putting that one because of all the shows, including Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I absolutely, absolutely loved, uh, certainly those first few seasons, but I had never laughed for so long and so hard as some of those uh, sunny episodes. Yeah. I mean... Oh, my God. Not only are the jokes funny, but the way that these guys act and Yeah. Because I've seen behind the scenes, like the bloopers. Uh-huh. They they have a general premise, and they have a script of sorts, uh-huh. but they improv a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot of it. <laughs> and in the bloopers, you see them, uh, you know, like Charlie Day will come up with a new line. Uh-huh. And you just see the other guys just dying laughing because <laughs> as, you know, they're all writers. They're all yeah. co- comedy writers. And so as they're doing this scene, they're about, you know, I bet you this would be a funnier line. And, <laughs> and it just, and so yeah. the way that they edit the show is they take the best bits yeah. out of these little scenarios that they create. And, and also that they weren't uh, satisfied with just kind of pumping out the same sorts of episodes that yeah, yeah. they, especially in the late, the latter seasons, they decided to really kind of stretch things oh, a little totally. bit. Oh, uh, totally. And like... The, and get super meta. Some of their episodes yeah. are so awesome because yeah. they're like a send-off of a different kind of type of show. Mm-hmm. Like, remember the one with the Seinfeld? Mm-hmm. Like, where they, where they were basically like recreating Seinfeld bits yeah. and it was or lethal so self-aware. We- or Lethal Weapon. Lethal, oh my God. <laughs> and the other thing uh, that I just love, because, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm is also super improv. Right. But in this one, um, I, I, I think I get the sense that, like, like what you were saying, which is improv, but then they select the best. Well, and they have a script. So Curb yeah. Your Enthusiasm, the first few seasons, I think was like It's Always Sunny in that. Cause, so the way that Curb Your Enthusiasm, the way that Larry David sets up his scenes is he's like, okay, uh, I'm going to 
you're going to be sitting in my seat when I return from the bathroom. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to want you to get out of the seat. And that's the extent of the setup. <laughs> and that's the setup. And yeah. then they just go for it. Yeah. Well, that only can la- last so long before by season eight, you're like, you, right. you see it coming a mile away. Right. And when I watch some of those scenes, especially knowing how they construct the scenes, I'm like, the, none of these characters really know what they're supposed to be doing. And all they do is essentially just kind of argue. Like, you know, like the scene will be like, Layer Day was like, hey, what are you doing? You're in my seat. He'd be like, well, I don't know. No one was sitting here when I got here. And Larry Day would be like, well, I was sitting there earlier. And then the, the other guy's like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. And then they just repeat that sort of, that, that they just escalate that. You're making me laugh though, because that's just, I think, I, I, I know what you're getting at exactly. Whereas, right? whereas it's always sunny, There'll there'll be like some there'll be there'll be five other layers and there's a threat yeah but I I I, I don't want to go too hard here because like those first few seasons of Curb right oh my god but and, but one would argue that the first few seasons of Curb inspired well had more of a construction to the scene more layers yeah it's probably fair. a good way that's to put fair. it yeah. than later seasons yeah. where I think Larry David got just got lazy I will not dis- I don't care so much for the latter seasons I I will also say. Not everyone that he improved with was as strong, because he's amazing. Yeah, and like uh, Richard is great. Like those the scenes yeah. between them are some of the best comedy gold. You know, yeah, yeah. Not all the actors and a- actresses that he had on the show were always as strong. So there were scenes where you're still enjoying Larry, but the other person is running out of like good comebacks or good things, and that's what make- starts making the scene not feel awkward in that good way, but feel awkward as in like. This is getting boring. And, right. and I, th- I felt that happened more in the latter seasons for sure. But anyways, I don't mean to put down Curb because certainly Curb influenced things like Sonny. And, yeah. uh, <sighs> uh, other honorable mentions, The Office. It, it sort of dipped into the yeah. 2010s. The OJ documentary I thought was awesome. Uh, 30 Rock also dipped into the 2010s. The Clone Wars, Star Wars, the cartoon. I, I really like that show mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, obviously, Trailer Park Boys, Modern Family. I really loved Modern Family. Oh yeah, I'm surprised. You uh, me and my wife have watched every episode at least twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's hilarious. It's it's the it's one of the last shows on like reg- it's on regular TV. I think right. Wait, is Ed? What's his name in that? Uh, the guy from Fa- from Al Al Bundy. Al Bundy, yeah, right, yeah. He's in uh, Married with Children. Yeah. So he's in that show. Is he the dad? He's the grandfather. Oh, the grandfather. Okay. Why? Well, I'm just thinking it's funny because he was in one of the best, like, satirical yeah. family it, it's shows. It's not. It's nothing like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not something. It has no, no ties to that. Because I loved Married with Children. Yeah. I, I mean, I watched it when I was 21 I'm not saying it aged well. I'm just saying... Not only because of the content, but the humor. But at the time, I was in high school, and I loved it. Yeah, I, I didn't really like it. I thought, I mean, it, uh, at the time, again, you had three channels, so it's yeah. like, what else are you going to watch? You gonna do? <laughs> but I remember just feeling like the the negativity on that show was just a little much for me. Um, well, sure. <laughs> I know, the, that's, yeah. that's the idea, but, yeah. but I just... And, and also, it became such a thing. It became such a... Mm-hmm. They had such a following. Yeah, yeah. And the audience would just cackle. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, it wasn't that <laughs> funny. <laughs> well, know? laugh tracks in general got out of hand. No, I think right? it was a live audience. Sure. Well, sorry. I didn't mean laugh tracks. I meant shows with laugh in them but I think got kind of out of hand. Well... 
No, I think sh- shows with live audiences that didn't have a sort of rabid cult following, like for example, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, for example, his his audience. Yeah, they they they're not rabid. They laugh normal. They like like they laugh like normal human beings. David Letterman in the la- the last five to ten uh-huh. years of his career, his audience were rabid. It was almost like no matter what David Letterman said. They were going to clap. It bothered the crap out of it. Every little joke that David Letterman said not only got a laugh, but an ovation. Well, and I, so I, that's my point. Is like I got to be honest. I never, even when I was a kid, I never liked laugh. Whether it was tracks or live, I never liked the laugh because I always felt like it's like you don't get to pick when I laugh. Damn it. I'm gonna laugh whenever I want. Oh, okay, that was funny, but still. <laughs> yeah, it, but research. I don't know. Maybe it was a. But like research a, shows that when you add a laugh track, even if people know it's fake, it will actually make people think it's funnier. I'm sure that's true. I just remember, like in the late '80s, uh, the shows that I actually liked, but I still was always bothered by laughing. Yeah. By by other people that I don't know laughing. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> uh, and Bob's Burgers. Oh, yeah. Um, so I want to just quickly go over the this CNET article written by Adam Kuzer. Uh, she has number 30, Saturday Night Live, um, which I think, you know, is very influential in sure. a certain way. Sure. Uh, I I watch it on YouTube as soon as I it comes out. I watch a lot out. of clips on YouTube from Yeah, CNN. I actually really enjoy it. You know, people talk about, like, the good old days when it was really funny. I think every every season has its has its shining moments. And I think that there, those moments are still occurring. I, I, I got to disagree with every you. Every season has always had duds. That's for sure. I, I have to disagree with you because late nineties and early two thousands, I, I can't remember the exact cause it was before Will Ferrell. There was a period of time cause I was, I would never miss an SNL starting in like 93, probably no, no, no. 91 never miss an SNL avid, rabid, rabid watcher. And uh, right around the late nineties, I I was like done. I was like, this is no no longer funny. Yeah, I mean, I I, I obviously haven't done. But then this. it came back. I, I I'm not denying that it came back, and okay. there's been some amazing seasons. But I think even during those years, there are some shining moments Maybe. that that aren't usually. People tend to talk about it's like those seasons were terrible, and it's just like eh, there's probably <laughs> some good moments in there. Um, Twenty nine Key and Peel, which oh yeah. Uh, I would say is a huge Very show. I mean, Jordan Peele, his career is totally taken off. Although was it, um, Chappelle was like, "Oh, a nice way to build a show from my show." <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know he was a little salty, but <laughs> uh, Chappelle bothers me actually. Like uh, his latest stand-up. Yeah, I watched it. I did not. It's actually past two stand-ups. I thought wasn't funny, and I thought took cheap shots at people that didn't need to be cheap shotted. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I did find it funny. I didn't. I but was like, I've I was never like, ah. I've never thought his stand up was anywhere near as good as what he did with his show. I never even thought his show was that funny to be honest. I did like his show a lot. Like again, I thought his show had a ra- a similar rabid following that Married with Children had, which was this element of like I this is going to sound bad, but I think there are a lot of... I'm just referencing the people in my circle in the mm-hmm. 90s who loved Married with Children. And there's one of my close friends who loved Married with Children and loved the David Chappelle show. Okay. And he 
had a bone to pick. He was a white guy who uh-huh. had, a, had a bone to pick with like certain groups of people. Uh, okay. And I felt like those, both of those shows sort of tapped into that energy a little uh. bit. And me watching this show, I was like, okay, I get, I guess it's, it's not bad. I mean, sure. it's, it's not like terrible TV, but I don't understand why you're like such a rabid fan of this show, you know? It's I will like, grant you okay, that. Okay, it's kind of funny, but why yeah. Why do you have posters of this fucking, <laughs> fucking show? I, I will grant you that the following first Chappelle show was way overblown. Right. But I did find it funny. I just felt like when I watch his stand-up, which I, I also find funny, but I actually don't find it as funny as his skits. And I think his skits did influence... The Key and Peel skits, but Key and Peel, in my opinion, is better. Like I like Key way and Peel better. better. Just, yeah. I mean, the shit that uh, Key and Peel tackle yeah. in in uh, half of their skits are groundbreaking. They did, it, you know, their skit <laughs> on they're both slaves. Yeah, I've they're, seen, I've seen they're it. both on the slave yeah, block. It's great. And they're like, oh, this is this is bullshit. And yeah. then they're they're like, how come they're not picking? picking yeah, me? they're not picking me. Like, and- <laughs> yeah. And th- th- another skit where they are uh, they're in a apocalypse where aliens have invaded, and they have guns and they're walking through the streets. <laughs> and this this white business guy comes up and comes out of the shadows. And it's like, oh, thank God, you know, you're, you know, uh, thank God, you know, two black guys have come to save me with guns. And they're like, oh, obviously an alien, because if he was, if he was a human, he'd be, he'd be, he'd be scared of us. And so they shoot him and just that kind of thing where, and then this, this white girl comes out of the shadows and is terrified of them because it's two black guys with guns. Okay, good. Okay, good. I know I remember that one. And, and then just. I mean, not only obvious racism sorts of elements that they that they, but just the 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 observation that they make on the human race through so many of their yeah, skits, totally. like the noise skit. I mean, you know, noise. Do you, do you know? Oh, that yeah, skit? the guy who still says noise. No, or, it's like they're they're in they're doing they're in a uh, like a break dancing circle, uh-huh. and. This one guy is like noise. Everything everyone does noise. Yeah, and yeah. but everyone turns around and likes him. They're mm. like they're like, oh, that's cool. That's that cool. guy said noise, you know. And then this other guy starts noticing. Oh, he said noise. I'm gonna say noise. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, that's cool that you said noise. And then the the original noise noise guy is like, hey, I'm the noise guy. <laughs> and so they start having this noise off. And it's I don't know. There's just something so brilliant about. I can, even though I'm, I've never been the noise guy. I can, you can relate. I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. It's well, the, just I don't know if you saw one where it was uh, this guy is telling a story or whatever. I forget the the thing, and um, I, the other guy, no matter what he says, he like dismisses him. You know, he's like, oh, okay, whatever, and he's being super sarcastic. Oh yeah, yeah. You and know what I mean? They're like nerds at like. Amnesty. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like. Okay. Okay, and he wrote, and he tells all the different yeah, variants of it. Awkward. awkward. He's uh-huh. like, no, it's no, it's not awkward. You're making it awkward. <laughs> Alrighty <Whoa>. then. <laughs> Let's change this. Yeah, yeah, and and then he, yeah, just little things like that. Yeah. Or uh, the episode where they're they're uh, giving a TED talk to men about women having their periods. I didn't see that one. Oh my god. Oh jeez. <laughs> it, it's this. These two sort of like, I don't know, they look like pimps or something. Uh-huh. They're dressed like pimps. 
and they're they have this this TED talk to men about like when women bleed from their crotches, <laughs> like it, it there it's like this weird way of trying to make men be more sensitive to <laughs> menstruation. Anyway, uh, twenty eight, thirteen reasons why. Uh, yeah, they're obviously a pretty big influence on our culture. I guess so. And uh, for young people, yeah. I, you'd be hard pressed to find a teenager who hasn't watched at least the first season. I would imagine. I don't remember because uh, I didn't listen to your podcast. But did you net out positive influence or negative influence on that? So at the time, there was a lot of outcry mm-hmm. about because it's about so a it's like- girl who kills herself. And I remember thinking, like, well, I mean, because there are people saying like this show should be banned and that sort of thing. And I was like, well, let's calm down. Um, might this show actually motivate some people to kill themselves or might be the final straw that, you know, sort of uh, motivates someone? You know, maybe. And that's obviously tragic and horrible. But the fact that we have such a fucked up society around suicide anyway, mm-hmm. you know, we don't talk about it. We don't reach out to people enough. There's not enough services. Uh, there's stigma about mental health. Like we, we're to blame for the fact that so many people don't seek help and don't know where to turn and feel isolated. Sure. Like it, it's our that the basis half of it is our fault. Yeah, and then to say like uh, this show is to blame. It's like well, this show is at least raising awareness, which is actually a good thing. It's saying like, look, suicide among teenagers is a thing. Yeah, and uh, w- so this show is popular, and so it raises like. Maybe all of us, if you're if you're worried about your kids following suit, maybe this is a prompt for you to actually pay attention to your kids and start to get them to you know to go to yeah, mental yeah. health and and to uh, vote for legislatures who actually uh, promote these kinds of things. And so so at the moment, at the time, I was I was like, well, we don't really know the effect it had on suicide. Maybe it had an effect, but overall, I thought it was a good thing. Then we actually had the data come mm-hmm. out because it takes a while for the yeah. data to, to uh, you know, reveal itself. And what they found was there was a 29% increase in suicide among teenagers in the month following the release of the show. Yeah. And I remember that it was mainly for boys actually. So my objections to the show, and I certainly don't say ban anything, but really more about ratings, things like that. But my main objection to the show is that, it wasn't a show geared towards sort of adults and parents and like it was it was definitely geared towards teenagers. Oh yeah. And that's what and and I don't just mean like teenagers should watch this as it it was stylized in a way that would appeal now and therefore I, yeah. glorify it a bit, you know. Right. Well, because the premise of the show was about a girl who had already killed herself. Yeah. And she sent out these 13 cassette sides to various different people to listen to. And each side of a cassette was her talking about another person who influenced her to kill herself. So someone bullied her and someone raped her and someone didn't listen to her when she tried to tell them about something. And so it was her way of essentially uh, getting revenge. You could could say it it was like... You know, the, the suicide note of being like, I did this because you didn't blah, blah, blah. Or, I did this because you were an asshole or something. But it was this portrayal of like how clever she was to arrange all the tapes just so and right. when they would be released. Right. And when yeah. And in the end, as a viewer and as the people getting the, the cassettes, 
they through this act of suicide, they now sort of respect her more. Right. Uh, she was she was heard. Her voice was heard yep. because she killed herself, and that's obviously not the message that is very positive. Yeah, like the ex- the extreme example, which I realize is way worse. But imagine if they did a like sort of a school shooting show where right. they made you at the end of the show be like, oh, I guess I see the right. You know, I killed half of the school you know student body because of these, the, of these 13 reasons. Yeah, and follow yeah. the hunt. And anyways, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, <sighs> but there's a, a lot of horrible things on TV, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of murder. There's a lot of rape. There's, you know, to, so do a, to point to this show. But, again, when we look at the it increase. Turns out it did have a... Now, yeah. it's not necessarily causation there could have been a lot of other factors and there is a sort of monthly fluctuation mm-hmm. uh, but it stands to reason again with how popular the show was right, right. now one could argue that those people would have killed themselves at, in a later month or something but yeah. actually data doesn't necessarily support that either um, Netflix has since altered the graphic suicide scene from the first season and also increase the warnings about the subject matter, uh, you know, you know, sort of the disclaimers before the episodes. <laughs> I know that in this case, it turned out great for the suicide victim. Right. But. Right. But I suspect that's probably not enough because you'd have to alter the whole premise of the show, the yeah. plot to. Uh, Isn't there another season? There's been at least two, oh, okay. I think two seasons. Uh, number 27, Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. Uh, which. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Which I um, I loved the first season and a half, and then after that was just not very entertained. So I was with you for sure in the first run. What I think I talked about this before. What happened to me is, you know, definitely loved the first season, and I still think it is definitely the best. Of course, it's very cohesive. All these things. Uh, I started using Silicon Valley as my uh, white noise while I would be doing. Uh, like uh, oat things, o- oat work, uh, filling out oat reports and things like that. Uh, back then, you know, we were one company, and unfortunately, like or fortunately, I should say, because I was watching it so much, I started getting more and more attached to the latter seasons, and then I, I like I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was a little Stockholm syndrome, but uh, so I, I've watched the first episode of the new season, and I'm pretty into it, and blah blah blah. So I want to talk about uh, T.J. Miller because uh, it, this is a psychological right. bent to this. So I did a little deep dive into his history, and this is all from the Internet, so I'm not really sure. But prior to Silicon Valley uh, in 2010, he had brain surgery, which removed a small part of his frontal lobe. Did you know that? What? Yeah. T.J. Miller? Yeah. I, he was on a podcast talking about this, and from memory – he was in, I think, Australia or something, and he was shooting a movie or a TV show, and he had like some some like some neurological symptoms. He goes to the hospital, they diagnose him, and they say, you know, the only solution here is we we have to remove part of your brain. Oh my god! Which I think is um, a key element to the rest of the story that yeah. is not often discussed. No, I've not, I've not heard this at all. Yeah, your frontal lobe is a- associated with. Your decision making, your emotional regulation, you know, and so now it's unclear if that was the reason, but you know, I I think he said something like a like a tablespoon piece of his brain, which is quite a bit. So fast forward to 2016, 
He's arrested for allegedly assaulting an Uber driver. Uh, they were having a debate about Donald Trump, uh, and T.J. Miller hates Donald Trump, and so he assaulted an Uber driver. Uh, 2017, T.J. Miller sent his former friend, a film critic, Danielle Salzman, a lengthy email using transphobic slurs. Mm. He, so I'm guessing like tranny, I'm guessing those kinds yeah. of words. He was also reported to have used her previous name and called her a man. So I, I don't know this, but Daniel Salzman might be a, uh, might be trans okay. her herself. I'm not sure. Um, so he had this, T.J. Miller had this very, uh, you know, transphobic email exchange that yeah. was that was written evidence of his douchebaggery. Same year, 2017, allegations against T.J. Miller from his time in college, uh, 20 years ago, resurfaced part of the Me Too movement in the in the yeah. called the Weinstein effect. So in in that whole thing, his, uh, and lots of people were being implicated. T.J. Miller, a story from his past, cropped up. Uh, in which he became violent with her during a sexual encounter. He allegedly choked, shook, and punched her in the mouth, all without her consent. Oh, my God. So so that's before his brain surgery. Yeah. Um, 2018. Oh, that's before the brain surgery. Right, well before. Okay. But, again, one, maybe... Oh, he might have already had problems. Maybe he already had a problem with his brain. Two, maybe he's a douchebag and a psychopath. Three... Maybe the allegation wasn't exactly, you know, honest. Who knows? It's hard to yeah. tell. Uh, it's rare that people come forward with things like that and lie about it. But yeah. uh, 2018, plus, again, the way that it's described, it's like it's, it's hard to um, it's hard to uh, yeah. imagine a situation where it's like, well, you know, he choked and punched her. Uh, I mean, that's a normal thing to happen, right. <laughs> you know. Um, 2018, federal charges fake bomb threat made while what? he was on a train. Oh, I remember. I do remember that. He's yeah. on a train and uh, he made an emergency call and reported that a female passenger had a bomb in her bag. Authorities he was getting back to her, right? Authorities evacuated passengers and searched the train. No evidence of any explosive device was found. According to witnesses, he appeared to be heavily intoxicated and involved in a hostile exchange with a woman who was sitting in a front row from him in the first class car in a different row. So, so yeah, so she, he was in some sort of fight with this woman right. and he called 911 and said she had a bomb. If convicted, he could face up to five years in prison. Yikes. And so that was recently. We don't, we don't know the outcome of that yet. So these things uh, were all part of the whole, you know, T.J. Miller being fired from Silicon right. Valley, and he's no longer on the show. And he was a perhaps the you know at least the number two, if not arguably the number one character on that. Dude, show. no question. Especially first couple of seasons, his interaction with the main guy, I guess who is really the main, guy, whatever. But you're right. Like he was the funniest. Like that was the funniest stuff. You could argue Dinesh. Dinesh is really freaking funny, actually. Yeah, all those guys are hilarious. Yeah. Number twenty six on the list, Blackish. Uh, I did see that. Uh, it's it's a real traditional sitcom, but from the African American experience. But like they're they're light skinned African Americans or something. Uh, I think they might reference themselves as being that way. Because um, isn't that the whole thing? Like 
that's why it's called Blackish, I think. You know, I haven't watched okay. enough of it to know the answer to that question. But I, I found it to be entertaining. You know, it's in the same kind of genre, I think, as Modern Family, that sort of classic sitcom mm-hmm. kind of format. Veep with Julia yeah. Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, she's won a lot of Emmy awards for it. Um, I've seen it a little bit and and thought it was uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Um, 24 Arrow, which I cannot believe is on, is on this list. Yeah. You mean the D- DC Arrow? Yeah. Okay. I didn't see it, but... Yeah. Okay. Why in the world would... And then 23 Daredevil. Okay, yeah. No, 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 no. I will give it to Daredevil. Now, I don't know about most 23 most influential, but Daredevil turned... Like, Daredevil kickstarted TV shows on streaming services for Netflix okay. about superheroes. Well, maybe that's why it's on it, because Arrow was actually before Daredevil. Right, but those were all, like, network TV. Right, oh, yeah. so maybe that's why Arrow like, was Smallville on was obviously a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I... And Daredevil was really good. Did you nah, like Daredevil? No, I don't like those... I, the the character and we've talked about this before. The character of Daredevil, similar to the Book of Eli, and also yeah. like Zatoichi. Oh no! Are you gonna get into like how it's unrealistic? Yeah. <laughs> well, the the premise is right. Yeah. Daredevil. Yeah. He is blind. Yeah. And so he has heightened uh, uh, senses. He has that, an iron suit with nanotechnology. Oh wait, wait, wrong superhero. Right. He's just a regular guy. With, like, sticks. Oh, sorry. He got bit by a spider, and he's got these things that can do magic everywhere. Oh, no, no, wait. That's a different character. Well, (laughs) the point is, is that he has a disability, Uh and he has enhanced sort of natural abilities, not through a spider, but through just just his own sort of attention and his practice or something. And what ends up happening is that he's a billion times better of a fighter than anyone else would be who has sight. But no, no, there is an origin story. It's not just he's blind. There was something else to it. What? There was um, chemicals. Something something made him better. Oh, really? Yeah. Then, to me, <laughs> it's a much better story if, with Book of Eli, Zatuichi, Daredevil, if being blind actually is a deficit on some level, and, uh. and you know, like, someone comes up and is just really quiet... Yeah, and manages to, to to stab him in the arm. Yeah, uh, because they're really good at making sure they don't make a lot of noise. Uh, but they never play into that. He, it, it's it's like him being blind has really nothing to do with the story. That, yeah, he's just a really. I mean, he's just a really kick ass fighter. Sure, who has this blindness that doesn't really play a role. In, unless he's trying to read something. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like to me, it it's just a missed opportunity. I will grant you that, but. And plus, it's just not a very interesting show. Like, but that, and it's it's just it's just a a shit ton of gore. Really, it's just like oh, breaking man. of bones and I liked it. The, the storyline was fun. It's the tell me the storyline of the first season. But it's a superhero you can't even show. Tell me. It's a superhero show. Tell me the the, the, the Joker, the most recent movie. Tell me the storyline. I of know, that. but that's setting a that's new bar. That's good. That's it's a good. New right, bar. Well, new high bar. That's good writing. I hear. You. And I think Daredevil is uh, just, it's just not interesting to me. All right. <laughs> uh, number 22, Chernobyl. Uh, oh, yeah. It's sure. weird that this would be number 20. I, I, I find it interesting that this show was so loved by people. I loved right. it. I watched it. Yeah. But I found that, 
I think the, one of the reasons why I didn't like it as much as the general public was is because I know the story of Chernobyl. Okay. And so I think why, a lot of people did not know the story. Right. I, I, I'm just a nerd about this sort of stuff and, yeah. and lived through it in the 80s. And so when uh, I was watching the show, I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I'm getting way more details. But I basically, in fact, uh, upon watching the show, I was like, oh, I actually thought that the devastation was worse than that. Right. <laughs> like I'm watching the show. I'm like, okay, that's not so bad because. I might sneeze any second. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Um, the psychology involved in this show was social systems and, and power and the power structure results in a reactor explosion and then people dying. Yeah. So when, when, when you look at the show, you're like, well, who's to blame? Well, you're like, well, the system is to blame. I hope yeah. that's what people walk away with, which is like when you have a system that is uh, set up for various reasons to suppress knowledge and to privilege certain ideas like – Russia can or the Soviet Union can do no wrong and uh, you don't have freedom of the press and, right. and these kinds of things, then you have a disaster that happens on your own soil and then you have lots of people dying unnecessarily when they didn't have to. Didn't Howard Jones write a song about this? What? No one, no one, no one ever except the system. Is to blame. <laughs> Number 21, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, in this show, there's some psychology. There's trauma and torture. Star Trek what? There's a new, there's a new Star Trek. Really? Yeah. It has, has Tig Notaro in it. What? And uh, there's, there's trauma. It's actually kind of good. I mean, okay. it's, it, it's, a, it's a lot more visually exciting than previous incarnations. Is it closer to Battlestar? Yes. Yeah. And okay. it's also it moves very quickly too. Like the episodes move very fast, and the the Klingons are are pretty interestingly realized. Like mm. the the costumes and the 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 makeup and the language. Like they don't speak English. Nice. So you have to you have to read subtitles when, <laughs> when the Klingons are talking. And like old school Star Wars, instead of the bullshit accents of the uh, number twenty, the Expanse. Uh, I, I I liked the first season quite a bit. What is that? You should watch it. You'd yeah. probably like it, yeah. FX or? Uh, maybe. Okay. Um, I don't know what, where anything is. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> but The Expanse is sci-fi, and but it's real sci-fi in that it's set, mm. say, two or 300 years in the future. It's totally within our own solar system. And... Uh, like there are people who live in microgravity and they, they're miners on the asteroid belt. Okay. And as a result, their muscles and their bones atrophy. And so they can't really live on earth anymore. Oh. And there's unions and there's, they, they really uh, for the most part, get the physics down really well. Are like, they like, Oh man, I guess when we could have sent robots we made the wrong call. <laughs> Maybe. But like one just detail that you'll never see in another show or very rarely is that, you know, when you're traveling from point A to point B, like say we – like if, when we travel to Mars, for example, yeah. the fastest way to do it is to constantly accelerate. Right. Uh, so you, you launch into space and then you constantly accelerate uh, – you know, you, your engines are just perpetually on. Mm -hmm. And this means that you have a constant G-force that uh, is is fake gravity on your ship. Mm -hmm. 
So that helps you in terms of your ability to get around and also like helps with your muscle problems and that right. kind of thing and, and is blah, blah, blah. And then midpoint, you turn around and you decelerate. Uh-huh. And again, you get, you get gravity from that as well. Uh, they do this on the expanse. So, nice. so the, the engines will be, you know, and then they're, at a certain point they turn around and then they, they decelerate on the, as, cause if they, if they don't slow down, they'll, they'll crash into the planet, right. you know? Anyway, uh, number that's nine, the quickest way to get there. Basically it's the most, there's a lot of plus sides. Yeah. Obviously you can just sort of drift. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot, if you have enough fuel, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, 19 transparent. I think this is pretty obvious as to why this would be on the list. Wait, uh, what, am I, I'm blanking. What was that one? It's a oh, it's a TV show about uh, trans people and oh, I don't know and, that and queer people. Yeah, the father okay. is a trans woman. Okay, and I know a lot of trans people who actually like this show and think that it's actually a good representation of a particular sort of trans person, if you will. Okay. It's not universal, of of course. Jeffrey Tambor plays the trans woman at the you know, the matriarch of the family, so to speak. He left the series because of sexual harassment allegations as well. Um, 18, Rick and Morty. Uh, 17, True Detective. Oh, I forgot. Well, I've only seen the first season, actually. Yeah. I, I thought True Detective, uh, I tried to watch the first season, and I don't know. Just I, Wait, 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 wait. You did watch the first season. We talked about of, it. Kind of, right? Like, yeah. But... Second season was not interesting to me, so I, I thought I the first season was also not that really. Oh, yeah. I really liked the first season. Yeah, I, I it, but I haven't seen two or three. It just had there were scenes in in that first season that were awesome. Like mm-hmm. there are some scenes that if occasionally I'll just watch on YouTube. Yeah, like the shootout in the in the projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the shootout at the end when they yeah. when they discover him. And, uh, but there's so much like drivel in between those scenes that I, I just, it was hard to watch. Uh, 16 Westworld, similar thing with that. Uh, disappointing, really. Loved the first three or four episodes. Just loved Westworld. Got bored and confused because I didn't really know what was happening. It does get boring, man. It's hard to watch for me. That show late at night was really hard to watch. Yeah. I would fall asleep Every single time. Yeah. I mean, that says something, right? Uh, and I felt like by episode eight, I was like trying to trudge through it rather than really, because I wanted to know what was going to happen yeah. rather than uh, 15 BoJack Horseman. We have a avid, there's a, there's a number of our listeners who desperately want mm-hmm. us to watch this show. I've, I've watched BoJack. I think it's very funny. Yeah. And, and. But but I've watched it as in like I've seen I don't know maybe one and a half seasons worth really enjoy it. My brother has been after me for years. He like swears by that show, and he's like, and it gets so deep, and it gets so like blah blah. So I, I guess huh. I need to watch more of it. Yeah, the little bit I've seen of the show definitely gets into depression and yeah. inse- and insecurity and a particular coping style to depression and insecurity and masculinity. Yeah. Uh, number 14, Black Mirror. 15, Modern Family. Uh, th- 13, Modern yeah. Family. There's so many things we could say about uh, psychology with Modern Family. Um, I actually use clips from the show to show how family systems operate. Really? Yeah, because the show actually demonstrates that pretty well. Roles and the way yeah. anxiety is transferred ar- cool. around the system. Um, and I, and it frequently talks about how family is very important and how relationships are very important. I mean, Ohana does mean family. It does. 
criticisms about this show in terms of social justice and psychology is that Gloria is a stereotype of a Colombian. As a, <laughs> as a Colombian, Umberto, do you have any comments on I'm that? I'm a lot like Gloria. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'll fucking take it because we have no Colombians in any media up here, you know? Yeah. And one could argue that she's – if you watch all, uh, uh, enough episodes, you get a fuller picture of her, of her character. But I will grant that she's one of the l- least developed characters on that show. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's not necessarily an accident. Yeah. I, th- I think it is partially like they want to keep her as this weird sort of foreign thing. I mean, I will say in general, and I know you, you know this on the Asian side of the fence, but like Hispanics are are definitely tokenized quite often in, in shows and movies and things, right? Yeah. Like the Hispanic in general is the – the the drug or the gang member or the you know it's like it's it's not common to see like a normal character that just happens to be hispanic right <laughs> uh also there are uh certain criticisms of the show where people say you know all the women stay at home and don't work like mm-hmm. gloria stays at home and doesn't work uh for the most part and i kind of get that too but a lot of the women on the show do work uh, mm-hmm. You know the uh, Mrs. Dumphy. She she has a job. Uh, so anyway, the well, other. I, go I ahead. Also, sorry, I, I I almost feel like that that comment itself is a little classist. In that there are a lot of families that they can't afford to not have the mom stay at home because they have like four or five kids and they can't afford a freaking nanny. <laughs> yeah, some people will also point out that the only Asian is an immigrant child who was adopted on that show. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's just, now again, if, sure. if this was, uh, if our, if Hollywood had a representation of Asians, right. Uh, uh, that was commensurate with our population, meaning 7% of every yeah. hero was Asian. 7% of every lawyer was Asian. 7% of every main character was Asian American. If we were in a world like that, then it wouldn't bother me. But it does kind of bother me that in, in Modern Family and all the other fucking shows, as soon as an Asian is, is brought onto the show, they have to be a foreigner. And and it's sort of demeaning, you know? It's, it's just like yeah. the only Asian worth having lines on this show is, you know, a, a, a needy child from Asia who needed to be adopted by, you know, these white people. Right, right, right. Like and, the uh, actually Silicon Valley, the the yeah, pre- it's exactly uh, the, the same. Guy, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, although that character is hilarious, and he's a really funny stand-up. He's very funny. Yes, um, but he's the Asian, <laughs> and he's but he's also born in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he the the actor he was right. he was born in China, and actually kind of has a mild accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anyway, it's just, it's just like, yeah. Uh, but overall, um, for its time, shockingly open about a gay couple. I mean, it's hard to remember 2009, Mm -hmm. but at the time, uh, things were different. I feel like today when, when you, when you got, you know, trans shows and shows completely dedicated to gay people that are watched, you know, by everybody. Tignotaro is on uh, Star uh-huh. Trek, uh, and and Star Trek Discovery actually has a gay couple. Okay, that is uh, made characters, 
and uh, the essentially the engineer and the doctor are in uh, males and they're in a relationship. And I think they were even married. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, for the time, modern family, you had you had three families. You had the the classic nuclear family with the Dumfies, and then you had uh, the this this gay couple, and then you had the grandfather right. with this Colombian woman. And a third of every show was just about this gay couple, and it and it mm-hmm. and they were uh, they weren't hiding the fact that they were gay. Being gay was complete, and they would tackle things. Says so, you yeah. know the the grandfather Al Bundy wasn't exactly happy about right. it in the beginning and had issues with it, and and you know they would they would get into that sometimes, and uh, so I think that the show should be applauded for that. I right. mean, they didn't have to do that, and I remember at the time being like. Whoa! Half of Americans aren't going to want to watch <laughs> want to watch this show. Yeah, it was kind of scandalous. <laughs> yeah, and Stacy and I, when we were in L.A. not too long ago, uh, did a pilgrimage to the Dumphy House. Oh, and took a picture of ourselves out out in front. Nice. <laughs> Number twelve, Handmaid's Tale. Oh yeah, I still uh, haven't seen that, but it's it's um her, her influential things. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I hear it's a good book. Yeah, I think. It, if you watch the first couple episodes and you like it, you'll like it. Okay. But it's a particular kind of thing. Okay. Uh, there's a ton of psychology, oppression, obviously, of a class of right. of essentially women, tons of sexism, ton, tons of classism, actually, because, like, rich women have a lot of privileges that uh, poor women don't have. Mm-hmm. A ton of heterosexism, control of women's bodies – it essentially is an exaggeration of our society today and right. a, and less of an exaggeration of other societies in the yeah. world today. Uh, fear of women having power, using religion to control people, um, women's sexuality being scary yeah. and, and having you know men need to suppress it because it threatens us. Um, it's also kind of a history lesson on slavery and the Underground Railroad control of women and to some extent, you know, Saudi Arabia today. So wait, so does this, is this take place in history or? No, it's, okay. in, the, it's in the future. Okay. So essentially what happens is, uh, if I remember right, it's a lot of women can't give birth anymore. And so uh, there's this, there's this um, kind of terror that takes over the human race and different societies deal with it differently. But the United States in contrast to Canada and other mm-hmm. other countries, starts to fall into a religious um, uh, government. Okay. And, and certain laws start to be passed about like, well, the women who can have children need to be like sort of protected or, right. or dealt with. And then eventually you get to this, this society where I'm, I'm not really remembering the history that well, but eventually you get to this history, there are this, this situation where, you have these handmaids who are uh, essentially the ones that can't give birth. The, the ones who can give birth. Oh, okay, okay. The handmaids are, are the ones that can give birth. I think think so. I can't. And, and they are, uh, you know, impregnated and I see. for the betterment of the society, and they well, have like they without have, their consent. Yeah, they have no they have no rights. They're oh, essentially geez. raped regularly. Oh, jeez. Um, and they are essentially slaves. And then there's this other class of women who are servants. And uh, and uh, there's this underground railroad that mm. tries to uh, free 
the women to so they can go to Canada. And and also like when Canadians come to the United States, uh, everyone has to act like everything's fine. And and if you as a handmaid, if you act like you don't like your job, then you're going to be really punished. So a lot of in the beginning, a lot of Canadians are like, well, those Americans are really kind of crazy. But I don't know. They seem to like it. Why don't they build a big wall or something? Yeah. Uh, 11 Twin Peaks, The Return, which is sort of weird that that would be on this list. (laughs) Um, I was a avid, massive Twin Peaks fan in 1990-ish and was really looking forward to the Showtime uh, sequel, if you will, Uh continuation of the story. But I couldn't really get through, and I love David Lynch. Yeah, and this is this is David Lynch right down the middle. Uh-huh. And but I just found like this, they took way too long to get back to the original characters. Oh, okay, the first like four or five episodes. Well, the first episode is just kind of like, where are we in the world right now? I see. And then it starts to focus on uh, Agent Cooper. And he's like in this weird state and he doesn't understand who he is. And there's several episodes where it's just kind of like, and then eventually they get back back to to Twin Peaks and I couldn't get that far. (laughs) Um, But there is some psychology to Twin Peaks in general. Like, uh, you know, it's been 30 years. So the the main storyline is Laura Palmer gets killed by her father who was possessed by this essentially like this demon called Bob. And uh, so when, so she would, it just gives me chills because this fucking show was so scary. <laughs> God damn. Bob would be at the foot. Did you ever watch the old Twin Peaks? No. So this terrifying actor who was actually a makeup artist at the high, like that David Lynch was like, you have the face of Bob and they hired him. <laughs> and so Laura Palmer, this teenager, she'd be raped by this guy named Bob. Ugh. And uh, Bob would do all these things to her, like read her diary and terrorize her. And then she would see her dad. Mm-hmm. And then over time, she started to slowly realize that Bob was her dad. Oh. Bob was inside of her dad, and, and her dad was the one that was... And Oh, no. Bob, Bob, her dad, her human dad had been possessed by Bob. Right. Okay. So her dad essentially was raping her at night, you know, and, oh. and it was really hard, obviously, for her to accept. And, yeah. And so... Uh, she and she copes with all this difficulty in various different ways by becoming yeah. a sex worker and using drugs and da da da, and she has to lie to all these people. So like the prom queen had this dark sort of side to her, you know, blah blah. blah. Anyway, I will sometimes hear from clients and other people who were being sexually abused by their family member, mm-hmm. and they will describe it in a very similar way. They would mm-hmm. be like. I loved my dad. My if, if it was that I loved my dad. My dad was a sweet guy. He he you know he was he cared about me. He he spent time with me. Uh-huh. But there were these other times when this other side of him would come out, and he would physically abuse me or sexually abuse me. Uh, and it was like these this duality. Yeah. And I was terrified of the Bob, and I hated the Bob, but I loved the daddy. And I, you know, oh, and to have that, that, that's that so heartbreaking. Yeah. And the, the original Twin Peaks mm-hmm. show, um, you really know, did gets that. into that. Yeah. Um, <sighs> number 10, Broad City. Have you ever seen that show? 
Broad City. Yeah, it's sort of like it's two women, and it's sort of like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but it's okay. it's two women in I think New York. Uh, it's 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 a pretty groundbreaking show because isn't Broad City uh, the name of an improv troupe? I don't know or an improv thing. In- so it's two two women, and they are very raunchy. <laughs> You know, and yeah. very, very sex positive, if you will. Okay. Uh, very feminist, one could say, because it subverts traditional gender roles. You know, the two women, they like sex. Um, women, it, you know, because a lot of times TV shows, they'll have, even it's always sunny to some extent. The men can be funny and outrageous. Right. While the girl has to be like a little bit more mature. Uh, the Simpsons, you got Bart and... Homer, who are funny and outrageous and irresponsible, Lisa and Marge, they have to be, you know, mature and not the crazy ones. Um, And so we have this trope and we have it's a sexist thing. It's like we we can't really handle women being uh, off the chain, if you will. We, Mm -hmm. We have to, you know, men should be allowed to make mistakes. If women make mistakes, then where are we, right? We need, we need women to be in line. We don't want women to make mistakes. We, you know, And so Broad City completely does away with that, and these two women are just making mistakes all the time <laughs> and are, you know, frivolous and immature at times, but, you know, have a genuine sort of humanness to them. Um, they're full characters with flaws and strengths and you know it's a it's a pretty interesting groundbreaking show uh number nine orange is new black we already talked about that number eight glee uh, oh yeah obviously glee played a big role in our oh, yeah. society very influential number seven house of cards yep very which, which both of us both both of us liked um i loved the first season yeah didn't really like second season beyond um third season i was just like come on uh six stranger things five downton abbey oh i never saw it but i've Again, I know that it's been very influential. Loved the first. I, this is this is you know very common statement today. Love the Abbey, first season. <laughs> loved the first season. Pretty much hated it after that <laughs> okay. point. The first season was very down to earth and Would very. You say it was very Downton Earth. Yeah, it was. Ve- it's very um, uh, believable. I'll say that, and the character interactions mm-hmm. are believable. After the first season, it gets like, come on. Like, it, there's certain things that happen where you're just like, that <laughs> character has no consi- – there's this one woman who works in the kitchen, and she just flip-flops all the time. And you're just like, so – you know how a writer, there's like, well, I need her to do this. And I right. – you know, it's sort of be like it, it, if you had um, Jamie Lannister – instead of flip-flopping <laughs> kind of twice, you know, where he, yeah. he was a dick at first – then he flip flops to being good, and in the very end he goes back right. to Cersei. So that's that's two flops. Right. Uh, imagine if you did that like fifteen times in, in one season. Yeah, like basically heroes suffered from this starting in season two and a half and three, and uh, where uh, like Siler the uh, Sky, Siler wasn't Siler. Yeah. yeah, he was bad, then good, then bad, then good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think what do we need? (laughs) I think what happens is the writers they're just like, well, wouldn't it be a twist if he was good? And 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 they don't like think you realize the the watchers they're not just watching this one episode, you know they they've watched it up until this point. And uh, number four, The Walking Dead, as you said, and number three, Mad Men. We haven't talked about Mad Men. Oh right, yeah. Ooh, I totally forgot, and I really liked 
a lot of Mad yeah. Men. I was a pretty avid watcher of Mad Men the first three seasons, I think. And I don't remember disliking it after that, but I don't remember being uh, at the top of my priority list. Absolutely. And the one thing that I will say that they did less and less of is what I love the most about Mad Men in that first season and a bit in the second season is really dive into the ads. Like they did such a good job mm. with like showing you what they came up with and his speeches about it and stuff like that. Yeah. And that kept happening, but it happened less and less because more and more it was about so his proper. dysfunction and his, you know, and all this. Uh, number two, Breaking Bad, which you would be happy that's in there. Yeah. Uh, and number one, Game of Thrones. Yep. So we actually nailed quite a few, but there's a lot of stuff that I, I've never even heard of or, or watched. or. So I made it, I made a list of every... Uh, TV show, major TV show in the 2010s, and I'm just going to read them all because I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, what's not on the list? Sure, because I was thinking there's 30 on the list. It seems like that's probably all the shows. It's not. Big Bang Theory, The Office, Parks and Rec. The, of this, yeah, on this yeah. article, The Simpsons, How I Met Your Mother, Sherlock, The Americans, Roseanne, Boardwalk Empire, The Masked Ooh, Singer. Uh, Dancing with the Stars, America's Got Talent, The Kardashians, The Bachelor, Duck Dynasty, True Blood, Grey's Anatomy, Sensate, Unbelievable, uh, OJ, The OJ Doc, RuPaul, Pretty, Pretty Little Liars, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Caprica, which is a Bachelor yeah. of Family Guy, The Good Wife, Workaholics, American Idol, Big Mouth, uh, 30 Rock, NCIS, and all the various incarnations. Better Call Saul, Doctor Who, The Leftovers, This Is Us, The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, Fargo, Trailer Park Boys, It's Always Sunny, The Voice, The Night Of, Mr. Robot, Louie, Master of None, Homeland, Shameless, Making a Murderer, oh OJ God. Crime Story, or American Crime Story, OJ, Base Motel, Survivor, American Race, House of Lies, Fleabag, The Tick, Superstore, Big Little Lies, Archer, Bob's Burgers, Killing Eve, Adventure Time, Girls, and the list goes on and on from there. By the way... There's a shit ton of TV shows. There's a shit ton of TV shows. By the way... Uh, All of them good. Like, a lot of the shows on this list are actually, like, I really like this. Did shows. you watch The Leftovers? I didn't. So, The Leftovers, uh, as a series, was good. It was, you know, really good. But they had one episode in particular, uh, and it was in the first season, where it was some of the... I actually probably... Top three best TV watching experiences of my life. Really? Because it was so intense. Huh. And it was, I, I won't go into it because it's a spoiler. But anyways, it was really strong. And it's got Timothy Price from, uh, from uh, American Psycho. Hmm. <laughs> All right, people. So let us know what you think of the list that we had. Uh, just to review our lists here. Uh, Top five most influential for me, Trailer Park Boys, Stranger Things, Black Mirror, Game of Thrones, Orange is New Black. My top five favorites, Black Mirror, Stranger Things, Parks and Rec, Game of Thrones, The Americans. Berto, yours? My top uh, most influential was uh, Top Chef, I guess. <laughs> I was forced into that one. But Stranger Things, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Got. And my top five personal shows were... Rachel Maddow, Rick and Morty, Gravity Falls, Nathan for You, Black Mirror, and Sunny. <laughs> so uh, we have a, a scholarship that we because we met a goal on Patreon. So we have a two thousand dollars scholarship. Uh, the due date for uh, applying is December thirty first, twenty nineteen. 
And we actually had an anonymous patron. I saw that. Who donated $2,000. That's crazy. For us to have another scholarship. Insanity. She actually said, I'm just going to give you $2,000 and do with it scholarship-wise what you want. And I was like, well, how about we do another scholarship? So we're doing two $2,000 scholarships. Uh, We're going to grant those the beginning of 2020. Go to our website. If you're a student in mental health, you don't have to be a listener. You don't have to be a patron. And you have made a difference in the world uh, up till this date. And you plan on making a positive difference in the world in the future. Then go to our website and apply. That's incredible. Um, After this point, we will have uh, donated close to $20,000. In, incredible in philanthropy and all this money is because you out there became a patron of the podcast uh it's not technically our money because uh i just take you know a portion of the money that you donate to the podcast through patreon and i put it aside and we use it towards various different things we've already given i think five thousand dollars in scholarships already to people that need it i mean just think about these people that are students and they're struggling and one of one of our the people we gave a scholarship to was going to have to drop out of her doc, doctorate program. These people have dedicated, volunteered their extra time to making the world a better place without getting paid, uh, without any recognition, really. And they're out there doing things that you know. While we're watching Breaking Bad, they're out there on the streets, actually helping human beings and doing wonderful work to make our society a better place. And uh, what a wonderful thing that you, the listeners, as patrons, can give them a little bit of wind beneath their wings to, to, and a little bit of recognition so that they can feel rewarded for you know, doing what they're doing, and it will you know, likely motivate them to continue doing that work. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. Also, we've given money to LGBTQ charities, um, animal charities, homelessness charities, um, also, if you want to join us on Facebook, do that. There are, the main place where we do a lot of our polls and uh, announcements is on our Facebook page. I know some of you don't have Facebook accounts, but if you could create one just so you could pay attention to that. Uh, the other place is on Instagram. You can join our Instagram. I, I don't know how you follow us on Instagram. Yeah, you follow. Uh, you can also join the Facebook fan group, which I don't go to and Birdo does. It's where it's just you can just as a fan you can post whatever you want. Um, also join us on YouTube at two o'clock Seattle time. YouTube live. I do an hour. Sometimes Berto joins me of Q and A. Anyway, and please take care of yourself because you deserve it. <laughs>